This is episode 295 of the Wildlife Photography Podcast. In this episode, why guiding experience is important. everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from WildEye. Now if you've been following myself or any of the WildEye team members and especially the WildEye SA feed on Instagram, you would have seen that we've started to do some webinars. Up until now, as I sit here, I think we've done three and I literally just scheduled another five for the next week or so and we're just going to go deeper and deeper on this. Now for those of you that can't make the live webinars where there's a Q&A element always, which makes for great engagement, we will be pulling the video of those webinars and posting it to IGTV down the line, but also then pulling the audio and sharing it with you guys here on the podcast. So in this episode, um, I'm going to share with you the audio of a webinar that Johan hosted a couple of days ago in which he discussed why guiding experience is important for what we do. I hope you guys enjoy. Alrighty. Hello everyone, hope you guys are all well. I'm just trying to get this up straight. Um, yeah, super excited to be sharing this with you guys. It's, a, it's the first time um, presenting on this particular platform. So it's quite interesting and kind of weird just presenting to myself, but anyways. Um, so I wanted to uh, discuss in this particular um, presentation, just the importance of having guiding experience um, when you're sort of in the private guiding or photographic industry. Now you guys are welcome to please feel free to ask any questions that you might have. Um, otherwise, I'll be doing a Q&A with this afterwards. So, um, yeah, feel free to, to ask any questions. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to do this is to not only speak to people wanting to travel um, in the future. Um, I think that there's a lot of possible options, you know, with people going on safari, a lot of uh, companies out there. And this maybe just will give you a little bit of better um, inlook and, and what to look for when, you, um, when you're planning a private guided experience. I think you know, having people that has been guiding before is vitally important. Okay, so when I speak about, I'm going to speak about two different guides. So if I speak about normal guides, um, I'm chatting about guides that are permanent guides at lodges, you know, that, that do game drives day in and day out at a particular lodge. And then also private guides who um, who you then sort of pay for to go on safari with you to various destinations. Okay, so it's kind of like what we're doing at the moment. And I think with what's been happening in the industry as a whole, you know, it's, it's evolved quite a bit with, with social media and things that are out there. Um, I think it's important, you know, for people to have the fundamentals in place, to have the basics in place before you step into the private guiding industry. I think it's just fair and I'm going to be telling you now exactly why um, I think that guiding experience is so vitally important. So before I go in there, I wanted to give you guys a bit of background and just sort of um, also help guys, you know, that want to get into this private guiding industry and um, just sort of a sort of place where to start or just wanting to get into the guiding industry as a whole. And so for me, the guiding industry, I started in about 2006, where I then did my field guide training at Ulavani, which uh, is in the Eastern Cape, on a reserve called Amakala Game Reserve. Now, I would highly recommend, if you're wanting to become a guide, to do one of these courses. It's, um, 
it's, it's vitally important and puts the fundamentals in place for you. So during that course, uh, the course that it was, was a year course. And I think you cover about 19 subjects in total, you know, so everything from um, geology, astronomy, you know, animal behavior, um, all of these things that will just give you those sort of um, fundamentals to start off your guiding career. But you by no means the, the end or, or finished product, but it definitely helps you to, to kick your career off. Um, so after the year course, I did my qualifications and then I stayed on Amakala Game Reserve, which it's a relatively small reserve, um, but it, for me, it was the perfect place just to get into the, the guiding industry. You know, it's, it's not a place teeming with wildlife. It's got some incredible game on there. The scenery is incredible. But I mean, it's got elephants, buffalo, lions, all these things on there. But it's not a place where animals sort of pop around every corner at you. You had to work for it a little bit. But it also helped me as a guide try and, and entertain my clients between these big sightings. You know, you weren't just driving from one sighting to the next to the next. You had to sort of entertain the clients while, you know, in between those, those big sightings. So that's when the, the guide training became really, really important. You know, from chatting about soils and grasses, it might seem boring now, but if, it almost paints a picture together for people coming on safari for the first time. Right, so I spent about two years on, on Amakala Game Reserve, like I mentioned, small reserve. And the lodge was also quite um, small and intimate. There were only six rooms. And this also gave me a basic understanding of you know, how a lodge operates. You know, from, it's not just the guides, obviously. There's also you know, the, the housekeeping staff and um, you know, the, the, the barman, the chefs, all of these things that you, you kind of sort of get to know what, they, what they're doing. Um, and then from there, after about sort of a year and a half, two years on, um, on Amakala, I then moved to Medikwe Game Reserve. And it was just um, bigger opportunities, a bigger reserve, and an opportunity for me to grow as a guide. Now, I'm a firm believer in, in stepping stones and, um, you know, just sort of starting at the bottom and, and working your way up. Uh, so I'm just going to go through these Q&As. I'll try and... Um, I'll try and go through them as I go. Otherwise, I'll do a Q&A at the bottom or at the end. Sorry. Is there a guide course you can do at university that would help with guiding and what would you do? Right. So, Charlotte, great question. Um, so, as I mentioned, I did my field guide training on Amakala Game Reserve. Um, it's a company called Ulubani. So, you, it's basically a university, but you're in the bush. So, there's no better place to learn. So every day you would go out in the mornings, do a walk or a game drive, and you would then have um, lecturers who would, like you'll have each week, you'll have a certain topic. <clears throat> so from identifying trees to bird calls, you name it. Um, as I said, I think it's about 19 subjects. I've been out of it for a while, so I'm not sure exactly what everything is um, again, but yeah, ecology is one of them. I mentioned trees, grasses, um, astronomy. So a whole bunch of things, and it's, it's a great way. You don't have to do a year course, although I would recommend it. If, if you're going to uh, pursue a career out of, out of guiding, I would highly recommend doing a year course. But there are shorter courses out there. So um, I think there's like three-month courses and even like a four-week course that you can do. All right. So I hope that helps, Charlotte. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. If not, feel free to, to fire away again. 
Um, so then moved to, to Medicare Game Reserve, as I mentioned, and again, started off at the bottom, you know, as when the lodge I worked at, Jackie's Lodges, it was a family-friendly lodge, so quite a lot of families with kids coming in there. And then when you were the new guide, you would then start off guiding the kids around. I mean, it um, <laughs> sounds like a nightmare, but it was actually a lot of fun. And, and doing a lot of um, sort of small things with, with the kids, you know, it was like a 45-minute bumble, you know, just doing some tracks and signs. And again, just it's another learning curve for you, you know, being out there in the field and learning about those tracks, you know, making plaster of Paris um, with the kids. And that was, that was fantastic. And I really enjoyed that sort of stepping stone. I think it really just makes you appreciate, you know, once you get into that uh, senior guide position, it makes you appreciate it a whole lot more. Okay, so then um, at Jackie's, a very busy lodge, um, and we would work six-week cycles, right? So six weeks, every day, Monday to Sunday, you'd be on duty working, guiding. <clears throat> so out of like 42 days, I would, I reckon, probably on average, maybe spending about 30, 35 days actively guiding. So uh, morning safari and then afternoon safari, usually each about three hours. Okay, so... Um, so that's, I mean, six hours a day times, let's say, 30. So you're spending 180 hours minimum um, on each cycle. Uh, I spent five years at, at Jackie's. So this is, that's vitally important, you know. So it, it takes you, in the beginning, in the start of your, your guiding career, you become what we, what we call sort of a book guide. You know, part of your training, you learn animal behavior, what you read in the books, right? So... And the books will tell you this and this and this. But then over time, you know, the more you guide, the more you start sort of interpreting things in, in a different manner. And I think that's, that's where it becomes interesting. You know, you start seeing things that um, contradict what you read in the books. This also gives you fantastic stories to, to tell. You start, you're starting to build up experiences. And, um, and you can interpret that to your clients. Now, in the beginning, when you start guiding, you don't really know what's going on. You basically just... Now, from a book guide, you're giving gestation periods and how long lions live, for example. And that's all good and well, but that's the kind of information that people can read in books. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just going to grab some water. I think also one of the important things, you know, once you start guiding is you get to meet people from all over the world. You start interacting with people on a daily basis, you know. So like I mentioned, during the six-week cycle, you might have guests for, for five nights. They leave. The next day, you pick up more people from, or even the same day, the day that people leave, you're picking up more people. So you're starting to interact with people a lot more, you know. You're starting to read people better. And also getting understanding and trying to manage their expectations, you know. So say, for example, you have people staying in, um, staying with you for 10 nights which happened on quite a, a few occasions, people staying at a particular lodge for that long. You learn to start, you know, creating the experience, not just showing wildlife. Sometimes it happens. It's actually happened on a, on a numerous, um, on, on numerous occasions where you have people for 10 nights and you try and split everything out, right? You try and create an experience, not show them everything in one day. You know, you start bringing everything together true as hell, that first afternoon you'd be getting to a waterhole and everything would come there. Rhinos, lions, buffalo, elephant, which um, 
it makes it a little bit interesting for the, the rest of the time. But it kind of helps you to understand, you know, to try to create that, that wow experience for your client, to make it more than just, you know, the big five, which people come to see. Um, I think also in these parks in, in South Africa, it's important to understand that they're all fenced, right? So um, you also, you, you don't want to give the impression that it's, that it's a zoo kind of thing, which is not, you know, Madikwe is not by any means. It's a big reserve at like 150,000 acres. But, you know, if you had to respond to every single radio call, every line, every leopard, it kind of makes it too easy, if, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I think all those, all those things that you, you learned and you're starting to, to bring into practice, it's the tracking of things, it's, it's interpreting, um, you know, grabbing a branch that a black rhino is bitten off and showing that 45 degree angle that it's um, bitten off, just bringing those things together and the, the dung and the, the smell of um, uh, leopard scent marking, which if you haven't smelt it before, it smells like popcorn almost. So I think over time and in between that time, you're also starting to create stories. So getting a little bit sidetracked here, but I'll, I'll tell you guys a, a funny story when I got it in, uh, in Medikwe. I think it was one of my first couple of months there, probably my second or third month. Um, I was guiding, sorry, if you, if you guys hear dogs and kids, I am at home during this lockdown, so um, excuse all of that that goes on. But um, yeah, I, I found this leopard in, in Medikwe, and during that time, this was like 2007, uh, 2007, 2008, leopard sightings were not that common, right? So if you had a leopard crossing the road, you were ecstatic, you were very happy, and it was a, a tick in the box. But I found this leopard shortly after sundowners. It was just getting dark and I was super stoked. And I found this thing by myself. Guess we're happy. It was their first time in Africa. And we ended up you know, following this leopard off-road as they do. You know, moved off the road into the bushes. At Jackets, we didn't have trackers. So you would, as the guide, you were shining the spotlight by yourself, answering the radio, and also then looking where you're driving and also communicating to your guests. Who said men can multitask, right? So um, anyway, long story short, followed this leopard and completely lost track of time and direction. Anyway, guess happy we had this thing, maybe this leopard for about 15, 20 minutes, half an hour maybe. But then after that, as I said, we were off the road. I had to try and find my way back. And being new in the park, in a park at night, it really, really changes. So um, needless to say, we got horribly lost, ended up getting to the lodge well after dinner time, which was, uh, I think dinner was by then maybe 7, 7.30. We got to camp well after 9 o'clock. Half the guests had gone to bed already. So, um, I was not very popular with, with the chefs and management. But anyways, that, that then becomes a story that you can tell with the clients. You know, something to sort of entertain around the fires and... Um, and, and just a bit of laughter in between, in between safaris. So, yeah, as I mentioned, you know, you, you get to sort of learn to, to manage the, the guest expectations. You've now built up the experience. And then from there, I decided to, my wife and I decided that, you know, we got an opportunity to, um, to, to go manage properties outside of South Africa. And part of that became, you know, every safari, or between safaris, between like um, cycles, we would go and explore Africa. So we did road trips through Zimbabwe, Botswana, um, you know, cruised into places like the Kalahari, Monopools, just because that, that, that passion for guiding and that passion for wildlife just became so much stronger that 
you kind of want to experience what is outside of your reserve and outside of South Africa. And that's what we did, you know, on, on regular occasions, we'd go visit these places. And the more we visited, the more we wanted to um, experience more of it. So we, we got the opportunity to manage properties outside of South Africa. And we then we went to um, uh, the Lower Zambezi National Park in Zambia, managed the property there, and then also in Botswana. And Northern Botswana, for those of you that know, that uh, Lenyanti concession, which probably one of my favorite areas to, um, to go travel to. But managing a lodge then brought a, brought a different side of things, and I'm going to combine it within the private guiding thing and how, how it all works together. But now all of a sudden, from a management point of view, you're not just worried about the guests that are on your vehicle, but you, you have to manage the experience for the entire camp, as well as the staff. You know, the staff play a vital role in the whole experience. You know, a lot of the times people just see the, the guide and the guide is the absolute hero because he takes you to these amazing sightings. But it's everything from, you know, the guy that fixes your geezer so you can have a hot shower, the ladies that make your bed, um, that clean your room, um, the people that do the laundry, um, all of these things, you know, the guys that fix the vehicles, you can go on safari. It's about managing all of them and getting an understanding of, you know, how important their role is in the overall experience. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about managing a lodge is when we got a new guide in, um, especially in Botswana, they would have to go and spend like a few days, if not a week, with every single department. So from scullery, you'd be washing the dishes, maintenance of the vehicles, <clears throat> housekeepers, all of that, just to get a better understanding of you know, what, what it takes to, to, to run an entire camp. Um, that also taught me a lot about you know, just these areas being so isolated, you know, small things that you take for granted in South Africa, getting food supplies in. I think when we worked at lodges in South Africa, you'd get a food supply truck in like three times a week. And if necessary, you could send a vehicle into town, three, four hour drive, you can get your supplies. Whereas a lot of these places that are very isolated and which is areas that we sort of travel to now from um, a wildlife point of view, you know, a lot of the fresh stuff comes in by plane. And you know, if that shop didn't have that particular ingredient, you had to make it work without that. So that, that taught me a lot to, to, um, to make plans and, and solve problems. You know, you, you can't just sort of um, sit back and cry about it. You had to make it work. Um, so I just want to see, I think there's a, keep those questions um, coming, guys. Um, I'm going to answer them right at the end. Um, so how does that help, you know, from a private guided, uh, from a private guiding industry? And how does, how does that help me to where I am now? So to start off from a wildlife knowledge point of view. So as I mentioned, you know, when you're guiding and things, you now have a broader knowledge of animal behavior. You get to understand their movements a lot better. And now from, from a photographic point of view, like understanding animal behavior is, is half the battle. I, I, mean, I can't even think of the amount of times that my guests have been able to get an image because we predicted the animal movement. Now, a lot of the times that's, that's half the battle won. If you can predict what an animal's gonna do before they do that, it means you can get into position for that and, and then the rest becomes very, very easy. What it's also helped um, a hell of a lot is, like I mentioned, managing those expectations. So 
Remember, we were talking about having people for a 10-night stay at a particular lodge. Now imagine going to multiple properties and also the different times of year that you're traveling. So you can now, as, as a guide, having extensive knowledge of those particular areas, just manage people's expectation when they go to a particular place. So if you're going to, let's take the Mara, for example, you know, you're going to Mara in May or June. Fantastic time to be in the Mara and fantastic predator viewing. But you know, or you can explain to the clients that there's very little chance that you're going to get migratory herds of wildebeest coming into the Mara at that time of the year. However, there is a good chance you're going to get fantastic predator viewing. And there's a lot less vehicles present in the Mara at that stage. So, you know, you can, you can manage these expectations in the best possible way that you can. Also, if people are traveling or wanting to travel to certain destinations, Botswana is a great example of that. You can then recommend different aspects of Botswana. So Botswana has got what we call um, dry camps and they've also got wet camps. Um, not, um, not flooded, but there's water around it, if you know what I mean. So, um, so part of these... Um, sorry, I'm just going to try and manage... Um, Ever so sorry, Malta asked this. You ever scared or had a fear of walking on safari? Great question. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. Great question. There's definitely been a, a few, mainly by myself, but I'll get back to that. Um, in Botswana, a lot of people, you know, see the Okavango Delta, which is it's a fantastic thing to see. But even in the Okavango Delta, there's some camps that you can go to where you don't even see water. All right, so. We would ideally, you know, and, and from our, um, if you join our Botswana wilderness trip, we plan it in such a way that we combine the dry camps with the water-based camps. So you'll be doing Chitabi, which is considered as a, as a dry camp. Fantastic game viewing, good wild dogs, good leopard, good lion viewing. And then you'll go to either Pelo or Jakana, which is more water-based camp. And here you would focus on the smaller things, you know. So you're not going to go looking for lion and leopard and those kind of things there but you'll be looking more for like bird life doing walking safaris and then also doing mokoros which is a, a dugout canoe where you um, cruise through these narrow channels and what's one a fantastic experience but not really your, your big game type of, type of experience and then to end off you'll do a little vumbra which is a bit of a combination of both so little vumbra is on a little island um, and you'll be you'll boat into camp, but then from there as well, you can do makoros, you can do boat trips, and you can also do the, the game drives along these beautiful floodplains, which is absolutely stunning. So you can combine that just from extensive knowledge, just from people saying they want to go to Botswana. You've got a broader knowledge, and I think that, that that's a great thing with, um, with us as a team, as a wildlife team, is all of us have extensive knowledge of certain areas and we pick each other's brains about you know, particular spots. Some of the guys are more experienced in other areas and all of that is possible because all of us have guided before. All right. Also, while we're on the, the like, Botswana subject, you know, um, if people want to see the Botswana in flood, a lot of people would think you know, the rainy season is the perfect time to go because you know, a lot of downpours, there should be a lot of water. But Botswana has actually got a very unique um, ecosystem where the floods actually come from Angola. So 
um, when it rains during the rainy season, about December, January, it will rain up in the highlands. But the waters usually only reach uh, Botswana around about that May, June, July period. Okay, and by the looks of it, I think Botswana is going to have fantastic floods this year. It's already started coming through. So um, definitely a place to keep an eye out for once this, um, this whole pandemic is, is over. Um, let's get to the question. You ever scared or had fear of walking safari or a bushwalk? So I'll tell you an interesting story when I, um, when I was guiding in, in Madikwe Game Reserve. So um, we have a qualification which is called the Trails Guide qualification, right? So that enables you to then um, lead walking safaris, taking guests with you. But in order, order to do that, now, correct me if I'm wrong, like I said, I'm, I'm not too up to date with what the qualifications or the hours should be, but when I did mine, you had to do, um, so you get a backup trails and then you get lead trails. So for backup trails, you had to get um, 10 encounters of any of the big five, right? So elephant, lion, um, rhino, buffalo, leopard, 10 encounters of any of those animals and then 50 hours on foot with a person that's got that lead trails qualification. Okay, so once you've done that, and it's all been signed off, you then need another 100 hours on foot and 50, five, zero encounters of any of the big five. Okay, so um, we would often then, if you had a new guide come in wanting to get the hours, you'd take them walking to try and get the encounters and um, try and walk into elephants and, and rhinos and things at a safe distance, of course. So when I did, um, I did all my, um, my hours, all my encounters, and then you have to be practically assessed by uh, one of these assessors that will then, um, they'll be your guests, you take them out on a walk, they'll ask you anything from tracks and things, um, track signs, um, you know, bird calls, all of these things. And one of those things you have to do as well is have a encounter of, you know, the big five. So um, it's, it's a little bit sort of gray lines, what encounter involves, but it's usually, you know, within, um, it mustn't be like miles ahead, you know, as safe as possible, but, you know, being able to tell what the animal is without binoculars. So we are walking and, um, we found this, um, these tracks of, of a lioness. And we were looking for elephants, anything else, couldn't find anything. So we had these, um, these lion tracks and we said, okay, well, let, let's follow them. You know, this will be massive points for me if I can track and find this, this lioness. So off we went, these tracks were fresh. We could see all the details and got up to this um, dry dam wall. So it's like this raised sort of area. There was, there was no water in the lake anymore. And, but it was just a bit of elevation for us to sort of scan around. And I remember looking through my binoculars, looking, looking, looking. And all of a sudden, it sounded like this Holly Davidson was starting up in this bush in front of us. And it was this lioness. And I mean, she came bolting out of these tickets. And I think luckily for us, we were elevated, right? So I had a rifle with me. And I mean, as a guide, one of the last things you want to try and do or that you want to do is shoot an animal. You know, like you've got so much love, so much respect for this, um, this beautiful beast. The last thing you want to do is, is shoot it. So anyways, I had my rifle ready. I had um, the guy assessing me and one of our junior guides with me that their lives were basically in my hand had this rifle ready and this lioness stopped 
I don't know, within three or four meters, basically at the base of, uh, of this incline. Right? She then returned back to this bush and came out a second time. Again, same scenario, I was shouting at her, clapping my hand, shouting, speaking fluent French. <laughs> um, she stopped again back into the bush. And, and this happened probably about five or six times. And we noticed that like, when she went back, probably the third or fourth time, the assessor could see like tiny, tiny little cups. We had no idea she had cups. I mean, if I knew that, there was no way we would have gone in there. But we only saw the tracks of the, of the big adults. She probably went off hunting and went back into that den where she was hiding her cubs. And um, yeah, I mean, this carried on, like I mentioned, five or six times. And eventually the um, assessor was holding my belt. So I was walking, still keeping an eye on her. Obviously, didn't want to turn my back towards her. And he then led me out um, to, to safety and we moved away from that area. So yeah, that was definitely um, a very, very uh, interesting experience. And um, yeah, one that you kind of feel very much alive. Um, yeah, it's a, a scary, scary experience. It, it, it goes again, you know, often a lot of people worry about lions on foot. It, it really is, most of the time these animals will, will try and uh, make space for you, move away. The first reaction is to avoid conflict. But on this particular occasion, as I mentioned, she had cubs and obviously trying to protect them as best as we can, as best as she could. So we decided to, to move away and rightfully so. But uh, thank you for that question. That's a, a very cool and very interesting one. All right, also I think something that, that is very important you know, from a, a private guiding industry, having guiding experience, is the way you communicate with the local guide. Now with us being in that situation before, you understand what the local guide is going through. And one of the first things I would do when I, when I get to a particular lodge is to find the, whoever's going to be our guide and just have a chat to him, you know, just um, reassuring him that, you know, I'm not here to take over his job. I think that's important. You know, I think so many times um, people get onto the vehicle as private guides and try and sort of, you know, overshadow what the local guide is trying to do. You know, he's got extensive knowledge of that particular area. So I would prefer to have that guy do his thing. You know, I'm not there to, to take over his job. And I often like to just, um, you know, just reassure the guide of that. You know, just get on, off on the, on the right foot. And I think it's also very important, you know, if you're going to multiple destinations, which often we do. Um, so, for example, you know, you're doing Ambuseli, you're doing the Masamara, and then you're doing... Let's say Sabi Sands, for example, it would be a great itinerary. But if you in Amboseli with a local guide, I would then speak to him and say, listen, don't worry about you know stopping for lions or stopping for leopard. Let's focus on elephants here because that is what's unique of this particular area. And again, that's having that extensive knowledge of what each reserve offers. And that's where we come in, you know, from, from a photographic point of view to give clients that you know, variety of images, but also so the guide knows what we're trying to achieve, you know, that you don't sort of misunderstand each other halfway through. And then the same thing goes from there. You know, if you go from Amboseli then to the Masamara, to speak to your guide there and say, listen, don't worry about elephants here. Don't worry about chatting about impalas and zebras and things for the 400th time. You know, we've done this before. Let's, on our four or five nights here, Let's focus on um, lions, on scar, or whatever it might be. 
And then again, the same thing goes for the last uh, place you're going to in the Sabi Sands. You know, to say, don't worry about, um, you know, trying to get elephants. If you get them, so be it. You know, if, there, if there's nothing else happening around, so be it. But let's focus now for our three or four nights here. Let's focus on leopard. And in that way, also just getting a diverse portfolio for your clients. I think it also um, helps us, you know, from a photographic point of view, just, you know, do different animals in, in different areas, but also the same animal and photographing them differently in each park. Uh, I think, um, you know, certain areas definitely lends, lends themselves more to shooting wide. You know, if you go to a place like Mana Pools, for example, to say to clients, listen, you've got such a beautiful forest here. Don't go up too close, you know, shoot wide because after this, you're going to be spending time in Kruger National Park. There you can get your close-up portraits of elephants if need be. And I think that, that, is, that is vitally um, important, you know, to um, how we can help uh, people from a photographic point of view and also just um, you know, having extensive knowledge of different reserves and what each one offers. Um, what else? Um, I think... Yeah, building the experience, as I said, I think it is, is vitally important, you know, when you, when you go to multiple destinations. And I think also the, the, the stories that, that go with it, you know, I think it becomes so much more than just the guiding and the animal aspect of it, you know, between, between safaris. And I think it, it makes for great conversation also with your local guide, you know. Um, he might see um, something or he might know something in his particular area that you've never seen, you know, not saying one is better than the other. Um, and that often I've had that conversation many times with, with local guides, you know, seeing something, um, you know, fascinating, like lions in Botswana, once again, you know, adapting to, um, to water, um, sort of wetland areas, you know, often swimming across channels and just getting a understanding of a particular pride. You know, I think that's where, um, your local guide also comes in and where you can get him um, involved a lot more is you know, he can tell the story of a particular pride in a certain area that you don't necessarily know of um, and then you can add you know a story from lions in other areas and how you know, these different prides differ from their um, their respective areas so I think that is that is vitally important guys you know from um, you know just having that background knowledge I think there's there's nothing worse from uh, for a a guide at a lodge, you know, working there when you have a private guide in your vehicle and he sort of takes over and, um, you know, answers all the questions and things. By all means, you know, if, if questions are directed at us, we'll, we'll, um, we'll answer that. But if we're more there to facilitate um, the whole story um, as, it, as it unfolds in front of us. There was something I wanted to um, touch on now, um, just sort of speaking about lions. Mm. If you guys have any more questions, feel free to um, keep them coming through. <clears throat> um, Charlotte, what do you think is the most important characteristics for a private guide to have? A great question. Um, for me, I think um, respect. I think respect for, um, for the environment, first of all. I think being ethical is, is, is vitally important. And I read a great thing the other day is uh, they say, an ethical guide is doing the right thing when no one else is watching. And I think that, that that's vitally important. You know, it's 
Um, I think also maybe as, as junior guides, you know, I think the, the longer you do it, the easier it becomes for you to, to stop people no matter what the photographic situation. As soon as it starts having a negative impact on the wildlife, that's time to move out. And I've, I've had this, I've, I've asked um, local guides to, you know, not worry about the sighting, let's rather move away. Because often, you know, if you have a private guide on your vehicle, can often be an intimidating thing. And I, once again, I think that's where that communication is, is so vital to, you know, just to put them at ease that you're not here to, to try and judge them or to try and take over. Um, and when that situation comes, you know, that they don't have to feel pressurized to do anything that they don't want to. I think a lot of the time, I see it a lot in, in East Africa, you know, where, where um, guides or, or guests will put pressure on, on um, local guides to go off-road and break the rules and often slip like a 50 or $100 note to them to, to do that. And I think that's where as a private guide, you know, you, you have the responsibility and um, you should have the freedom to then say, guys, you know what? It's, um, it's great, you know, trying to get the, the shots from a photographic point of view, but it should never be at the expense of the animal's well-being, which I think is vitally important. So great question. I, I think respect for wildlife, um, for people, and just being a, a nice human. You know, I think that's, those are the best characteristics. Um, another question from Charlotte here. Do you think that by becoming a guide, you are less amazed by the animals you see than you would be? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I think with, with wildlife, it's, it's a classic case of the, the more you know, the better it actually gets. And it, it, it becomes an addiction. I think you can become blasé, um, especially if you go to, to areas um, frequently. Uh, but I think the reaction you get from your clients, I think, just makes it all worthwhile. It's, for me, you know, even though I've seen thousands of lions, that expression when like someone sees a lion for the first time or you know they, they they get that their first lion image or elephants whatever it may be just that expression and that excitement that you get and that, that, that's what i love about amara camp you know if you have uh, so we, we've got like a media room in the media tent in in the in the mass amara and you know every every day people would go and download the images and if you have an incredible sighting it's it's almost a race, you know, people running from the vehicle, getting there, waiting to download the images. And just that satisfaction on people's faces, you know, when they get the images that they're really, really proud of and they send it off to their wives and husbands. I think that for me is what makes it really, really special. All right, so um, do you know of any places that a 17-year-old could volunteer? Um, Charlotte, I don't. Um, off the top of my head, I, I don't know of a place. I, I can definitely um, look it up for you. Send me an email. Um, my email is Johan, so J-O-H-A-N at wild-eye.co.za. Johan at wild.com. Um, send me an email. I can definitely um, check, out, check it out for you. I've got a few friends in the industry um, and also you know, some of the um, field guide academies that can maybe assist with that. So, um, yeah, send me an email and let's see what we can do for you. All right, I just want to see if there's any other questions. Um, Franchel Malava, Franchel, I hope you're well, man. Great uh, seeing you on here. Thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in. 
Do you manage other guides or drivers in the sighting, and particularly those who try to hijack your sightings? Um, that that's, that's a, a good question. Um, do you manage other guides or drivers in the sighting? That, that's a tough one, you know. I think in, um, in Southern Africa as, as a whole, and you know, in South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, and the, the guide qualifications, the guys go through quite a, a steep sort of um, learning experience and the, the training is quite intense. So a lot of those guys um, have ethics and understand, you know, positioning of vehicles and things like that. I know often in places in East Africa, it, it can be a bit frustrating. Um, recently in the Serengeti, I had a couple of, um, of situations like that where people would um, park behind your vehicle. I would then... Um, ask our local guide to maybe try and get in, in touch with them from, from a radio um, a radio communications point of view and just try and ask them to maybe reposition. But a lot of the times, you know, you don't want to go screaming and shouting and creating a circus out there, but it, it is very difficult. Majority of the time we don't have to. Um, if, you know, if it affects the animals, we've actually got, um, talking about the Massa Mara now, we, we've got a very good relationship with, the moral conservancy guys and we, we've gotten to that stage now and it happened last year where if people are pulling um you know putting the animals in risk or in danger we would ask our guys jimmy sammy james jackson one of them to phone the park rangers and tell them where we are and tell them what's happening some people might see it as as tittle-tailing you know we're doing it for the best interest of the of the moral conservancy which we feel very passionate about, and you know, as much as we can eliminate um, these people that don't don't care, then the better. So, I actually, had a situation last year with um, a female leopard that we had in a tree with a kill for a couple of days. Um, she then moved down, and vehicles would. She was in a bush, you know, just trying to get away from from these cars. I said to, uh, I think I was with Sammy, Sammy or Jimmy at that stage. Said, let's listen. Let's uh, let's pull away. We got incredible images. Let's pull away. This animal is stressed, and these vehicles were like literally pushing their noses into this bush. We found um, the park rangers, and they were there within minutes and gave a fine to um, to every single one of them. So, you know what? People can see this tittle tailing. Like I said, it, if like you got to care about the animals first, man. It's I think too many times we try and chase. Um, the, the sightings or the photographic opportunities, the animal's well-being has got to be has got to be right up at the front. You know, otherwise, if you're just going in for the shots, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, man. Um, let's see this other question out here. Um, don't see, don't see any of them. Any new questions yet, guys? I'm I'm opening this up now for for Q and A. I don't think there's anything else I want to. I want to mention, but it's, I think, you know, if, if you're trying to, if you're planning to, to do a safari, if you haven't been to Africa before, there's a lot of people doing, trying to do this private guided thing that don't have the experience. If you're starting off as a, as a guide or wanting to get into the, the, the private guiding industry, my best recommendation is to, to put in the time, put in the effort and, you know, you owe it to yourself, but you also owe it to people that are paying money to go on safari with you. Take your time. I think a lot of the times, you know, people see the romantic side of, of the traveling. You know, they, they see us 
going to these amazing destinations. And it is amazing. Uh, it, it is um, incredible, and we are very privileged to go to these areas. But each and every one of us at Wilder have done the hard yards. We've worked at lodges. We've managed lodges. And, you know, that, that's, that's a stepping stone that you have to, you have to take and, and really sort of don't respect or don't disrespect, sorry, the industry um, because of that. You know, I, I really think, I really think that, that that's what it, what it is. You know, I think people that are just doing the photographic um, safari thing or the private guiding thing without any, you know, prior guiding knowledge or experience really is disrespecting that industry. I really think. Really think so. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give this um, give this a few minutes. Otherwise, I'm gonna I'm gonna end this. Um, if you guys have any questions, please yeah, feel free to to shoot through. This has actually been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Feels a bit uh, bit strange to just represent to yourself, but um, yeah, it's uh, very enjoyable, I must say. How do you know if you have what it takes to make it in the industry? Um, if you if you love people, if you love wildlife, then I think you you're halfway there. The the wildlife knowledge side of things, I mean that that can be taught. You know, you can. You can read books, and there's a lot of online courses. You know, from a from a photographic point of view. Now, I think the biggest thing is you have to love people. You have to love interacting with people, and I, I think a lot of people see it from a wildlife point of view and seeing the amazing animals and the photographic opportunities that go with it. But at the end of the day, if you don't enjoy working with people, if you don't entertain, if you don't love entertaining, it's all about the people, man. All about the people. It's about the wildlife as well, and respecting that. But the end of, at the end of the day, it's about um, it's about enjoying people and being able to entertain them. All right. Let's see what else is here. What is the most difficult part of becoming a guide? Whew. Um, I think uh, the most difficult part of being a guide. Especially from a private guiding point of view, I think is, is the traveling. And for me now, I've got uh, two kids, um, got a wife at home, and it, it is difficult. You know, almost in the beginning, it's um, it's exciting. Look, it's still exciting. So don't get me don't get me wrong. But sort of like a day or two before I start traveling, I, I get this uh, almost like a sad feeling in a way. Um, but I think that's I see that as a good thing. You know, I remember. Um, in school, the teacher always said, our headmaster always said, when there's new, school, uh, new kids that come into school, they said, if you're happy to leave your school and excited to be away from everyone else, this school is going to become just as boring, but even quicker for you. And if you're sad to leave the people behind and um, sad to leave your school, then you'll be welcome here and you'll enjoy the school more than, more than any other. So... I think that that's the same sort of mindset that I go on safari with. You know, if, if I'm not sad to, to leave my family behind, then it doesn't really give me something to look forward to when I'm on safari. You know? So I always look forward to, to traveling, always look forward to going to these amazing places, even if it means leaving uh, my family behind. 
I'm very lucky that I've got a very supportive um, family that sort of know um, what I do and, and know what my goals are going forward. So um, don't underestimate how difficult it is from, from a, a traveling point of view. It is super tough, but it definitely has its, uh, its upsides. Why, okay, this is from Malta. Why make you the step from a safari guide, lodge manager to a photographic guide? Is it a dream of many safari guides? And that's a good question. So I was, um, the, the last uh, lodge that uh, I worked at was in, was in Botswana, so in the, in the Lenyanti. And then we were there for a couple of years and then my wife fell pregnant. So um, a lot of these places, they, they're very isolated. Um, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. So with having kids, there's no fences around the camp. It's not really, the, the lodges don't cater for kids. It has to be, 16, year, 16 years old and, and older. So we couldn't raise um, our son in, um, at the lodge in Botswana. So there were other options, um, you know, probably sort of going to, um, to other family-friendly lodges. But to be honest, um, because I had such a love for, you know, those, or still have such a love for those remote areas, that's where I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be in the Botswana's and, and the, the South Luangwas and those kind of places, the, the Rusty camps. That's, that's what I really enjoy. So um, we had a couple of, of difficult years where I was in freelancing, you know, working at a, a few lodges in Medikwe. And you know, the, the, the photographic thing, the, the photographic passion developed you know, over time working at lodges and things. So um, that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to share and uh, the, the, the photographic knowledge above the animal uh, sort of behavior and, and that experience. Over and above that, I really wanted to share the photographic side of things with people. And I knew Jerry and, uh, and Andrew when we were working with Dick, where they were also there. So from the beginning, when Wild Eye started, I've been uh, following along. And yeah, one thing led to another. And um, is it a dream of many safari guides? Um, I'd like to think so. Um, you know, also with these lodges, you know, I, I do believe there is a, is a time span to it. You know, you, um, you're in one particular place, you know, it's routine. Also, I think now we kind of have the best of both worlds. You know, you get to experience the, the, these amazing destinations. But also once I'm home, you know, I've, I've got a, a semi-normal life and I can go, once this thing is over, I can go out for, for dinner with my wife and kids. You know, I can go and grab a pizza if I wanted to, I can go watch a movie whenever I wanted to. Whereas when you're at a lodge, you know, you can't just break away for dinner and things like that. You Often you're a few hours drive from any sort of civilization. Or if you're in like remote areas like South Luangwa, Mana Pools, um, Botswana, then, you know, you really are in the middle of nowhere. The only way out is to fly out, you know. So you can get a bit of cabin fever and I think that's, that's something that, uh, that really got to me, the cabin fever side of things. You know, you're working, living with people day in and day out. There was never really a time to break away and just have a, a dinner or something by yourself. So I think, um, I personally feel there is a, a sort of a time span to, um, to the safari or the lodge guiding industry. Uh, let's see if there's any other questions here. Right, so 
Seems like I'm going to give this another couple of minutes, and then um, if there's nothing else, then um, then I'm going to log off. How do you manage burnout with constant change of guests and pressure during your duty cycles? Great question, Francois. So I think that again comes from the the, um, the guiding guiding background. So as I mentioned, you know, we were working for like uh, six weeks on. And actually, when I was working in Botswana, we would work for three months, three months on every single day. And then you would go off for a month. So I think that, you know, I think it's all a mindset, but definitely having that guiding experience, it teaches you how to manage, you know, new guests coming in. So you have guests for five nights, you work hard, you track hard, you find them the animals, they leave. That same day, you're going to start all over again. People for five nights, you do that whole thing all over again. They leave, new people come in. And you can't, you can't be tired and, you know, blase about it because this could be, those people's first and only safari in ever, ever in Africa. You know, so you've got to be enthusiastic about it. You've got to be on top of your game. And I really honestly, honestly do feel that if you don't have that guiding experience, you can't do it, man. Um, so for, for me, it, it's no problem, you know, doing a, a four, five, six, seven week um, trip back to back with all the travels and things that it entails. It's not a problem for me because it's all a mindset. You know, if I know I'm going on a, however many week safari, I can mentally prepare myself and know that I will be on top of my game for the duration of that trip because of that, uh, that guiding background. I think that's vitally important. I think also, you know, just, just coming back to that, I think a lot of the times, you know, when the going gets tough on, on safari, you know, a lot of these people that um, are, I'm going to call them almost part-time private guides because they, you know, they might do one or two trips a year and they don't really have that guiding experience background. I think a lot of them go in there and try and just sort of maximize sightings, you know, racing from A to B, try and get as many photographs as they possibly can so they can use it from a marketing point of view. And also as many of their own images as they possibly can. And I think with, with us now is, you know, we, we've traveled to a lot of these destinations. So you become, the more you start traveling and from sort of guiding and things like that, the more you start becoming very particular in what you photograph, which means that you now a lot of times on safari, I might be only take my camera out by day four, five or six. Um, and it, it, it's not sort of the fact that I don't want to photograph, but it's, you know, it's just making sure my guests are comfortable first and foremost. And from the, the camera settings point of view, I can help them from a behavioral point of view and what to look out for. And then as soon as I see that they get comfortable, then I can start taking images. So I think it's something that is, that is so vital, man. I, I really can't stress that enough. So if, you, if you're looking to, to travel and, and, and plan these safaris, you know, keep that in mind. You know, keep in mind, look at um, a particular guide or company that's wanting to get you on safari and, and just make sure that they've got that guiding experience. I, I can't emphasize enough how really how important that is for all the factors that I mentioned. Animal behavior, obviously, being uh, first and, and foremost of it, being ethical, and also just the, the stories and how um, a guide can then sort of interact and, and explain different scenarios to you. And then also the, the funny uh, jokes and stories that can be told around a, a campfire afterwards. All right, I think we, we got into the end of this. Guys, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for... Um, for taking the time to, to watch this. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. 
Um, please feel free to, to get in touch with me. I'd love to hear some of your, your feedback on this. You can email me, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, my email address, Johan, so it's J-O-H-A-N at wild-e-y-e wild-i.co.za. Okay, so get in touch with me. I'd love to hear your feedback. Otherwise, you can get a hold of me on Instagram. It's just Johan van Sale Photography. So Johan and then V-A-N-Z-Y-L Photography. I'd love to hear back from you guys. I'm definitely going to be doing more of these in the future. Absolutely. Um, would love to share more of these um, experiences. If you guys have any questions, then feel free. Or if there's something that you want me to present on in the future, then please give me a shout. Um, I'm also going to be going on Instagram Live in about half an hour with Marlon, chatting about this um, exact same topic. So if you guys are on here, go and check us out on Instagram. I think it'll be a fun topic. Marlon and I have hosted quite a few safaris together, so uh, definitely a few uh, funny stories in there. But um, from a webinar point of view, Jerry will be doing one tomorrow. We're going to be chatting about um, a Wild Amara camp, so that'll be an exciting one. And then also, I think Andrew Dankwitz is doing one on Wednesday, chatting about location, which is also super vital when, when booking a safari. Okay. I think that's it from my side. I'm going to have one more look to see if there's any questions here. Um, Okay, so there's one more question here from Hannah. Um, you spoke about the guiding side of things. How does it work with photographic skills? Do you guys have a specific photo education for the private guides? Um, so that, that, that's a great question. Um, Hannah, in short, um, I don't, and I don't think any of the guys at Wilder have any formal qualification from a photographic point of view. It's all, you know, from a, a, being lodge-based guides, being out in the field, Every day, you know, the passion for photography develops and you're basically teaching yourself. I think now online there's, there's a lot more, lot more videos out there. And it's basically what we're trying to do as well, you know, to try and get that photographic education to people, just helping them learn uh, different photographic techniques, photographic skills, uh, post-processing um, tips. But in short, no, we don't have any, um, like, formal uh, photographic qualification. It's all been just sort of figuring it out and um, yeah, learning as we go. But the wildlife side of it, yeah, definitely that's uh, quite um, formal qualifications for that. And with the experience that we have, I think all of us have five years plus guiding industry. So, you know, a lot of experience when it comes to wildlife and essentially when you're photographing wildlife, you know, you need to know what, you, what you're photographing. You need to know that animals uh, movements and uh, and their behavior to be able to do that. So, yeah, that is it. Guys, I think that's that's a wrap. Thank you so much for watching. As, as I mentioned, uh, there's going to be more of these webinars coming out. Um, stay tuned. Um, a lot of exciting things coming your way. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to, um, to watch this and look forward to catching up with you guys soon. Stay safe and um, stay positive out there. All right, till next time, guys. Cheers.